This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. Our state lawmakers returned to the Capitol last week to kick off another year of bickering, grandstanding, and hopefully policymaking. So what should Denverites be watching for this session? Brian Eason is a politics reporter with the Colorado Sun, and he's on today to break it down. Today is Tuesday, January 16th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Brian Easton, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So decorum or a lack thereof seems to be a big theme at the state capitol this year. What was the vibe of the room these first days of the session? On day one, right? Like usually the first thing that, that lawmakers do is they say, say, here's all the great things we're going to do for you this year, right? Like here's our promises, here's our agenda. They did some of that, certainly. But um, what was interesting was that in a lot of the opening day speeches, there was a lot of like, you know, uh, let's be respectful to one another. Let's be kind, you know, let's respect other people's viewpoints. Um, Felt very much like, you know, kindergarten lessons. I was just going to say coming back to class after something has happened and the teacher like resetting the stage. Um, So how, well, I guess... It didn't just happen overnight. It wasn't just that one incident. Like, what? at what point did this work get so disrupted? I wasn't here during last legislative session, but, you know, I understand that there was uh, quite a bit that went on then in terms of uh, some offensive remarks being made by lawmakers. Um, and then during the special session, there was um, uh, a little bit of disruptive behavior. There were some protesters in the gallery, and there's a lawmaker, uh, State Representative Elizabeth Epps, who actually went up to the gallery and started uh, interrupting uh, a Republican lawmaker when when he was speaking. Um, and so it just it was just kind of a lot of little incidents, maybe, that have kind of bubbled up into something that uh, folks view as a problem. Yeah, and I'm thinking about the other, there were some lawmakers that sort of decided to step down or not even be in their positions anymore. And I don't think it's directly related to the incident you're talking about, but just sort of a general tenor of... Yeah, for sure. And I think I think some of that is is just politics in 2024, right? Totally. Like I mean, we've seen it with the um with the Trump Supreme Court stuff recently, right? Like uh there were Supreme Court justices justices that were getting death threats and um uh, death threats have just become and and vitriol and you know con- angry constituent emails getting cursed out on Twitter like all of this stuff all the name calling has just become more and more embedded in our politics I think um, and so it's natural for I think you know some lawmakers to be looking around going like is this really what I want to do with my life is this how I want to spend my time right and yeah. so you know I think for a lot of people you know uh, it 
started to outweigh what they view as the benefits of public service. Sure, sure. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's sort of the pressure from inside as well as outside of of chambers. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not just the the sort of clashing that lawmakers are feeling within themselves, but it's also maybe pressure from constituents or, like you said, sort of this vitriol and like aggressive behavior towards lawmakers. I think one thing kind of uh, influences the other too, right? Um, if... Uh, uh, if that's what you hear from your constituents, you know, maybe you start employing that own rhetoric and how you talk to people one on one, right? Like, sure. I, I think it, um, I think it all kind of uh, builds on builds on itself. Yeah, totally. So I want to talk a little bit about the substance of the the protests that you mentioned because it's not just like a symbolic moment. I think since 2016, Colorado has had a law on the books blocking the Public Employees Retirement Association from investing in companies that boycott Israel. And on the other side, Representative Epps proposed a bill to block SNAP benefits from being used on Israeli products. Do you think that we'll see real policy discussions about this topic? I think you will see people trying to have real policy discussions about this topic. Uh, I think it's probably unlikely that we're going to actually see majorities in the legislature wants to take this take this up, right? I mean, sure. I, think, I think a lot of folks in the state legislature view it as something that's divisive and they don't want to deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think you'll certainly see, see efforts to, to make this a topic of discussion. For sure. And I'm thinking, like, even if it's not part of a actual move for legislation, it's still a conversation in a public space that's a little bit of a platform. Oh, definitely. Um, So let's talk about some other big themes of this session. We know Democrats are basically in control. What are the Dems excited about this year? The biggest thing we're hearing over and over again from Democrats is is what we're going to do about housing costs. Um, You know, the, the governor is going to revive a lot of the stuff he was talking about last session, where it come when it comes to things like land use, right? Like how much control should local governments have over over what their neighborhoods look like, right? I mean, I think that there was kind of a reflexive uh, backlash to that last year from local governments. But uh, by the same token, you know, there's a lot of examples around the state where local governments have been a problem in actually getting more housing housing built, and and not just housing in general, right? Denser housing, right? Like not just single family lots that uh, take up a a lot of land and don't house as many people as townhouses or apartments and things like that. Um, so I think there's definitely going to be a push around around land use. Um, this year, it looks like Democrats have learned a bit of a lesson from last year, which is, you know, don't make local governments angry and don't make like <laughs> HOAs angry, right? And so one thing that they're talking about quite a bit is moving away from uh, kind of blanket restrictions, blanket mandates, and moving towards things like incentives, right? Like uh, they haven't exactly said what that's going to look like yet, but um, they are talking about incentives for things like multifamily housing near transit um, or uh, accessory dwelling units. Uh, And I think, but I think that's what Polis was really trying to do, right? He said already this year, um, his biggest, one of his biggest priorities, if not his biggest, is housing, specifically to increase uh, housing density in urban areas. And as you mentioned, he sort of attempted a, a more sweeping reform last year that really didn't jive with a lot of local, gov- smaller municipalities, or at least municipalities outside of Denver that said, hey, 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 wait a minute, we don't want you telling us what to do. Um, but we know he's going to try again, like he's not done with this. Do you have a sense of what what Polis's strategy is to to make some bigger land use things happen. So I think the the biggest thing you hear from from both the governor's office and and lawmakers is 
they want to push forward a lot of the same ideas, but they want to do them in like little bite-sized pieces, right? So we'll have one bill on accessory dwelling units, one bill on occupancy limits, one bill on land use. Uh, they think that that'll be a little bit more palatable to get across the finish line. Um, and, you know, we saw this a little bit with, with Proposition HH on last year's ballot. Like, putting something in a proposal for everyone to like is also a way to have something for everyone to hate, um, especially in legislative politics. It, it just becomes really, really difficult to get uh, really big legislation that does a lot of different things uh, through through the entire legislature. And, and the other thing that, that he's done uh, is... There has been a lot more discussions with with stakeholders, with local governments, with housing groups, um, uh, advocacy organizations. There's just been a lot more discussions happening over the last few months that that I don't think uh, were happening last legislative session. Um, the bill kind of came out fairly late in the session, and people were a little bit surprised by it, and there wasn't a lot of wiggle room to kind of have those those kind of good faith negotiations, right? This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. This episode is brought to you by the Denver Botanic Gardens. It's time for the 75th annual spring plant sale at the Denver Botanic Gardens. Mark your calendars for Friday and Saturday, May 10th and 11th. Admission is free, but you must register in advance at botanicgardens.org. Registering my husband, Greg, right now for the plants I want him to pick out and plant in our yard for me. <laughs> Shop from 15 different plant divisions, including annuals, houseplants, herbs and veggies, and specialties like aquatics, container garden in a bag, and plants grown right at the gardens. The garden's horticulture staff will be on site to answer any and all plant questions you may have. This sale emphasizes water smart and native plants that are perfect for our semi-arid climate. They'll be great for a beautiful landscape that doesn't require a bunch of water. For more details, registration information, and a catalog of available plants, go to botanicgardens.org. That's botanicgardens.org. When we talk about new housing being built, it often means apartments. And this is a part of this conversation, too, is building new denser apartment buildings, especially here in Denver, is, is happening. But um, renters, this is what the renter conversation is about. Is there anything that you think renters should be watching for this legislative session? Yeah, so there's uh, there's a few bills that um, are you're going to see come back from last year. Uh, one of the biggest is uh, this notion of of just cause evictions, and the idea behind that is um, uh, landlords can't just kick somebody out without like a really good reason, right? Like the 
the renter violated their lease or, or what have you. This bill would, would kind of apply to month-to-month leases too. So if as long as you're still paying, um, uh, you can stay in your home. A lot of what renters say happens is uh, landlords will effectively evict them, even without filing an eviction notice, by raising rent disproportionately or you know not repairing things that they should be repairing. Um, and so uh, this is a bill uh, sponsored by uh, Representative Mabry, am- among others, that uh, that would make Colorado one of like, I don't know, maybe a dozen states that has that has these sort of protections. Uh, another bill um, that I'm uh, not actually sure we're going to see come back, uh, but has certainly uh, been discussed in the past, uh, is one around allowing local governments to institute rent control. Um, mm. We were talking to the governor a couple weeks ago. He came out against that bill. Last year, I believe it did pass the House, but didn't make it through make it through the Senate. Um, uh, so I'm not I'm not sure if we're going to see that one come back this year or not. Um, the other new idea I've heard that is kind of interesting, um, uh, I believe it was Senator Chris Hansen was talking about um, creating some sort of uh, tax credit for renters, right? And uh, they created one last year that, that only uh, applies to senior citizens who are renters. Um, but, you know, one thing that's gotten lost in all this discussion about property tax cuts is, uh, well, what about renters? Like renters, right? <laughs> renters' housing costs have gone up way more than homeowners, and they can't uh, benefit from a property tax cut because they don't own their property. Exactly. Um, so, so that's one idea that's been uh, that's been floated that I that I think uh, is new and, and one to watch this year. That's interesting because I, I know rent control was so controversial as this idea and. Um, I know that Representative Mabry has has continued to talk about it, but the tax credit thing is an interesting, another approach to the same issue, kind of. It is, yeah. And it's one that, um, you know, we've seen over and over again, right? Like uh, tax credits, tax cuts, uh, that just seems to be a little bit more politically palatable in Colorado uh, yeah. for a variety of reasons. So the other thing Polis has always said about his ideas on land use reform is that public transit is a necessary part of that. Um, But it sounds like it's going to be an even bigger focus this year. Back in December, he was talking about reforming RTD even. Is there anything that we should be watching when it comes to transit? Yeah. So there's a big push uh, this year around uh, around Front Range Rail. Um, There's been some talk from uh, some Democratic leaders in the in the Senate about new fees, possibly new taxes, something that will actually kind of help uh, help really fund an expansion of transit. Um, and we also have a lot of federal money out there for transit. Democrats have been talking quite a bit about how this is the year where we're really going to see some some transit investments. So so we'll see what that looks like. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It's something as a lifelong Colorado, we have continued to talk about for a long, long time. And I know the Front Range Rail is a huge uh, theme for the governor, too. It is, definitely. And that's one of those things that, like you said, it's been talked about a very long time. A lot of people feel like they've been paying for right. for, for, for Front Range Transit <laughs> forever and without actually seeing it seeing it come to fruition. So, um, yeah, the trick will be getting that uh, across the finish line in a way that's people feel is fair and the right price, right? Because if you're someone who feels like you've already been paying for this and now you're going to have to go back and pay more just to see it happen, um, that'll be, it'll be a difficult discussion, I'm sure. And I just want to say for listeners, if you haven't heard, um, our friend of the show, Nate Miner from CPR did this great series, uh, a podcast called Ghost Train that explains a lot of the voting and the funding and where things did or didn't go. 
because it's a it's a long it's a very long story. <laughs> um, but we've talked about Democrats a lot, and which we should because they control both chambers and the governor's office. But the state GOP is kind of in turmoil right now, and it's pretty dramatic. What are you expecting to see from the Republican minority at the Capitol this session, if anything? It's interesting, right? Because uh, during the governor's speech today, he gave his his state of the state address, and there were a number of things that Republicans were the only people standing up uh, and clapping during. Um, and that was things like, as you can imagine, when the governor talks about things like income tax cuts and, and, and property tax cuts. Um, so I think you are going to see... Republicans pushing for for tax cuts. Um, the extent to which you see any Republicans sign on to Democratic bills involving tax cuts, I think it's going to really depend on the on the specifics. Right? Um, we just saw during the special session um, that special session had over a hundred million dollars of tax cuts. Right? And you didn't see really any Republicans vo- Republicans vote for it. Um, so tax policy is going to be one thing to look for. Um, Historically, we've also seen a lot of bipartisanship around uh, around school finance in Colorado, and I think you're going to see that again this year. Um, this is going to be the first year since the Great Recession that they're actually going to fully fund schools under the state constitution. And I also think you'll see it quite a bit in, in other budget discussions, right? Uh, so the, the Joint Budget Committee has been going over the governor's proposal right now, and you have Democrats and Republicans united in... Uh, hating quite a bit of it, I would say, <laughs> uh, particularly when it comes to higher education. Um, yeah. uh, the uh, you know the Joint Budget Committee feels that Colorado has been underfunding higher education for a very long time. Uh, we are probably bottom five, I would say, in, uh, in, higher, in state support for higher education, which has led to really high tuition in the state. Um, and so I think you're going to see Republicans and Democrats kind of work towards pushing for more higher education funding than, than maybe what you're seeing from Governor Polis. I mean, you have a front row seat to legislation and, and a lot of this doesn't really make it out of the House or, you know, make it to the public. There's so much they're working on. Um, is there anything that you're interested in watching this year, like interesting debates, interesting issues that surprised you? I think one thing that's really going to be interesting to watch is what happens around uh, around climate change. Mm. Um you know, a few years ago, there was this, uh, there was a bill that, uh, I think it was in 2019, that uh, directed state regulators to start taking climate change and, and health and environmental concerns into consideration, you know, if, say, an oil and gas company is applying for a permit. Well, since 2019, I think there's maybe been one or two times where the state has actually rejected a permit request based on that criteria. And so there's been there's been a big push from from environmental groups to to go back to the state and say, hey, we really need to take health and environmental yeah. concerns into account when we're talking about when we're talking about oil and gas permitting. Um, so I think that's going to be a really interesting fight. It's one of those issues that sort of underlies other issues, right? We're talking about transit. We're talking about housing, where it's built. You know, this like near near transit hubs. Those kinds of things are all underlying that is partially environmental concerns. Definitely, and you know, I think I think you're going to also see see a big push to really talk about how we can address communities that are kind of disproportionately affected by a lot of these things. Um, you know, the, the the Democratic Black Caucus has been talking about a uh, doing a study on 
racial disparities in Colorado and and the ways in which that like government in particular has contributed to those disparities. You know, obviously that's just a study, right? But I think it does provide, uh, you know, some ammunition for folks who who think that the state needs to be doing more on things like, you know, economic disparities, um, uh, educational disparities, uh, and so forth when it comes to, to people of color. It's interesting to me because it does underlie so many issues, but we don't necessarily even hear folks talking about it every year. Like, sometimes it's in vogue and sometimes it's not, you know? Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It was great to be here. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a legislative aide to slide into our DMs? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later.